0: Alright, as we dig into this text that that Bob read before, as we are looking at it, I want us to kind of in our mind go back. um, It's been a couple of years since we were in 1 Samuel, but in 1 Samuel chapter 4 we read a similar story. Now, I'm not just reading this into the text. It's clear that the author in 2 Samuel wants us to think about this earlier story. The timeline of the way things occurred has been janked all around in this chapter. We're, we read about David having a whole bunch of kids. We read about David's siege of Jerusalem. And all of that happened after this event. So the narrator here in 2 Samuel shifts it around because in the storytelling, they want us to think about this earlier story. And, and you'll see why, I think, clearly as, as we go on. Last week, we saw David being... Uh, anointed as the king. And we, we, that, that sermon on purpose was trying to follow the narrator's melancholy feel as he is writing this text. David has been driving, driving, driving to be king. And here it actually happens, and it's just anticlimactic. Saul gets this big ceremony. David gets 11, 12 guys in a room going, "'Well, I guess you can be king.'" And so apparently, I did a good job of reflecting back what the narrator said, because I had several people after the sermon come up and go, are you okay? You just seem like you're, you're, just like, like you're a little upset. And I'm like, no, that's what the text says. That's the way the text is written. So today, I hope you're excited, because today the text takes a quick turn and is going to show us how God... Even though he does things differently than we planned, differently than we expected, God is victorious. So let's back up to 1 Samuel chapter 4 and remember a similar story to this. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 2 through 11, we read about the exact same scenario the Philistines drew up in line against Israel. So here's the thing in smaller military movements like this, What you have is an army that doesn't have any indirect fire. They don't have an archery. They don't have uh, catapults that can fling rocks. And so having the high ground doesn't give you any advantage. Meeting head-to-head gives you the advantage. And so what the Philistines were doing was marching in. They were choosing the place of the battle, and they were purposefully picking valleys. If you're sword fighting with somebody, being over them doesn't help you a whole lot. Being head-to-head, if you think you're the stronger military, is the way you want to go. So the Philistines' normal battle mode was to march into a valley. They got to pick where the fight was going to be. They got to choose the terrain and then just bow up, just camp out and say, if you don't like me here, come on. And that's exactly what they did in 1 Samuel chapter 4. They spread out in line. Israel comes against them and they get spanked. They get killed in large number. And so the Israelites, the text tells us, got together and they they started talking about what they were going to do. And it says, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So these guys got together. They talked about it. They came up with a plan. They whiteboarded it. They put out the sandbox. They figured out what they were going to do. What we need to do is we need, to quote David Holmes, we need God in this scenario. And so they brought the Ark of the Covenant. And they march the Ark of the Covenant out. Phineas and Eleazar are carrying the Ark and they walk, march out to the Philistines. They, in fact, when the Ark showed up, they had a worship service. Man, they were, whoa, we going to win this. And they're all excited. And there's a great shout that went out. In fact, it was so loud that the Philistines heard it down in the valley. And they're like, oh, this ain't good. This cannot be good. We beat them today and they're up there celebrating. Something ain't, is about to go wrong. And then in a kind of a uh, Mel Gibson in Braveheart moment, one of the guys steps out and says, Hey, we need to fight like men. Either you fight today, or just like the Israelites have been slaves to us, we'll be slaves to them. Bam! Head to head they go. And if you've ever gone to Sunday school, you think, hey, they got, they got the Ark of the Covenant with them. They've got God on their side. You would think that they're going to guarantee to win. And not only did they get defeated, but the text says that 30,000... Of the children of Israel died that day and the Ark of the Covenant is left on the field of battle and the Philistines take it with that story in mind and we look at this story against the, the Israelites stepping against the Philistines it's totally different it's totally different we see David hearing of the Philistines get, drawing out in line just like before they're east of Jerusalem David goes down to the stronghold. And then it says, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? You see, in the first story, where they end up being defeated, what they did was, they did what they wanted to do, and then they stuck Jesus on the outside of it. They came up with a plan. And they said, Come on, God, come with us. In the second story, David gets on his knees and says, "God, what do you want me to do?" You see the difference between those two scenarios? If we really believe that prayer works, then there's a huge difference. The other day, Liz, I've already warned Liz that I'm going to use her in a sermon illustration, so she's blushing right now in the front row. The other day Liz called me, or we were out actually at CR and we were out here and she was, she was pouring drinks and, and she said, my lawnmower's broke. Now those of you that live on Taylor Road know that when Liz's lawnmower broke, that's taking a huge part of her life. I actually one day was riding along with some of the police officers and I got a call, there's a crazy lady going down the middle of Taylor Road and we drive over there and it was Liz riding right down the middle of Taylor Road on her lawnmower. <laughs> And so when she said her lawnmower wouldn't work, I'm like, well, what happened? She said, well, I ran over one of the grandkids' Eno's or the, the hammocks. That's still that blows my mind that the kids are so into hammocks. But regardless, so she had ran over an Eno and it gotten all twisted up in the blade. And I'm like, well, I'll come by and fix it. So we, me and Joe and I, Bruce and I think William Whitehead went over there. And my plan had been to go crank her lawnmower and then drive it out over the ditch so I could get underneath it and just cut, cut the little Eno loose. And so I sit down, she wasn't there, and so I fought the dogs and the cats and, the, and the, the, the zoo and got back to the lawnmower, and I sit down on the lawnmower and put the key in it, and it went I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And so we ended up having to pick the lawnmower up and set it on blocks so I could get underneath it and cut the Eno out, out from under it. And Liz got there and she said, What are you doing? I said, Well, we're fixing the lawnmower. And she said, Bless your heart and all that, you know, did the dogs eat you and that kind of thing. We got the eno cut out, and she said, Well, she said, Well, that just looks like a crazy way to do it, because we'd pick the lawnmower up and put it on blocks. It's like, well, I was gonna get in it and drive it out to your ditch, but the stupid thing wasn't crank. And she said, Well, when you got on it, did you pray? Well, no, I guess not. Well, that's why it wouldn't crank. Because if you don't get on the lawn... And I got to thinking, I've had cars and lawnmowers that were the same way. Oh, Lord, please let this thing run today. Just get me to, from point A to point B, Lord. If you believe in the power of prayer, then you see the difference between the way David did it and the way the Israelites did it with Eli, Phineas, and Hophni. So, the story goes on. The Lord said to David, go up. "...I will give the Philistines into your hand." And David came to Baal-parazim, and David defeated them there. "...And the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood." Which, Baal-parazim means the Lord broke, so it's easy to to understand. So to this day, the place is called Baal-parazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. Does that sound familiar? Just like the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 4 was abandoned on the field of battle. Here, the Philistines leave their idols Now, just to make sure that we get the point is the part B of the story. Because remember, when Joshua was leading the troops and they they came up against Jericho, Jericho was defeated because they did exactly what God had told them to do. And then the next time they go up against a group, they go up against the city of Ai, and they didn't bother with praying to God, and they got defeated. So here we have David who's godly enough, smart enough to not just assume, well, if God gave me... One, he's going to give me the next battle, and he does it again. It says the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Raphaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, God said, You shall not go up, go around to their rear, and come against them opposite the balsam trees. Now those of you who are still reading a King James Bible, you have a great advantage here because in the King James, it's, it, the way that it words this is beautiful. It says there's a going in the mulberry bush. I love that. I don't know why, but that, I just love that way of saying it. A going, like there's somebody walking in the top of the mulberry bush. I can picture that in my mind. So, and David did as the Lord commanded and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So God didn't just win a little bit. He showed out. Now, the first thing that immediately comes to mind is the prophecy that was said of David is here fulfilled. Where God said... And David shall be your king, and he will defeat your enemies all around. And I'm here to tell you that God does what He says He will do. You can trust that God fulfills and God does what He says He will do. And so God fulfilled that prophecy. The second big thing that I see here is looking at that difference between When the Ark of the Covenant was lost in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and what we see here in 2 Samuel Samuel chapter 5. What do we have to do to ensure that God is victorious? Now, I don't want to re-preach the sermon from two years ago about 1 Samuel chapter 4. But I want us to understand that God will not be reduced to being your lucky charm. You can't do whatever you want to do and then throw God's name in it and think that that's going to work. It doesn't work. God will not be your lucky charm. God will not be your pocket, Jesus, that you can just stick in your pocket and do whatever you want to do. And when there's trouble, you dig around, hold on, let me see my keys and my change, and you pull him out and go, okay, Jesus, I need you to help me now. That's not how God works. Now, all of that is big stuff, and we all probably are sitting there going, well, I would never do that. But how often do we, when we have great need in our life, forget what our greatest need is? On Wednesday night, we've been studying the law, and we looked at the three purposes of the law. And one of those purposes of the law is to show What a great need we have for a Savior. See, a drunk's greatest need is not sobriety. A drunk's greatest need is Jesus. A hypocrite sitting in the church's greatest need is not for him to fix his attitude. His greatest need is Jesus. A homosexual's greatest need is not to be straight. If all we did was fix the the homosexuality and made them straight, then what you've got is a person going to hell having sex with women. That doesn't help him at all. What his greatest need is is Jesus. Let me really blow your mind. Those of you who are trying to walk in your faith and struggle day by day, you know what your greatest need is? Jesus! Jesus! It's not what Jesus can do for you. So often, I'm not even going to preach to you, I'm just going to tell you how God's been dealing with my heart. So often, Tom Harrison, what he does is, God, I need you to, insert thing here, God, I need you to provide for my church. I need you to work in my marriage. I need you to fix my kids. God, please fix my kids. And God, I need you to. I need you to do this, 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 this. And what I do when I only focus on my need is forget that my greatest need is God. And all God's promises in Christ Jesus are yes. And so if I remember, that's why we have so many false converts in the church. If you pray for God to take away your desire for a drug, if you pray for God, you're missing the point. If you're praying for God to make you wealthy if you're praying for God to cause your car to crank on the first try if you're praying for God to give your hair more bounce whatever it is if your focus is on your need and not the God that's saying he will provide for you you're missing the point God is the treasure God is the victory so that oftentimes God own purpose puts us in difficult times so that we must cry out to Him. Because oftentimes, when I pray for stuff, the answer to the prayer is no. Or as we've seen in David's life, not now. But the act of me realizing that self-sufficiency is a facade that I can provide for myself, that I can do for myself, I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps, is a lie. And that what I desperately need is God. Not God to do something, but God. And so here David, when he prays, listen to how he prays. Listen to what he says He says, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? The emphasis on the prayer is God, not the need. David recognized that if he's going to win the battle, it's got to be God's work, not his work. Now, who actually went out on the battlefield? David and his men. But what he saw was that he didn't need to go do what he wanted to do and duct tape a picture of Jesus on the outside of it and think that's okay. And again, we do that so often. So often we forget what our place in the big story is. Let me really blow your mind. Did you know that Jesus was not a white middle-class Republican. I'm serious. I know that's shocking information to some of you. (laughs) Watch it. My point is, though, is that when we try to recreate God in our image, when we try to make Him bow to what we want and what we think is best, we're missing the point. We're missing the point. The last thing that I see is that David is flexible in that when he goes back to God and says, okay, it's almost like there's an assumption that God wants him to do the same thing again. God, do you want me to go back up? And God says, no, I've got a different way. And that tells me that as believers, we've got to be really careful that we haven't got it all figured out. I was yesterday at the uh, smoke in the park. I got the privilege to be able to preach. Um, it was uh, to those guys at 6 o'clock in the morning. And it was really frustrating to go with all that barbecue cooking at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I couldn't eat any of it until noon. I got back home and I kept telling the family, Look, I'm hungry. We got to go. We got to go get something to eat. Because after being around all of that all, all morning, it was awesome. Um, see, I got distracted by barbecue again. I don't even remember where I was going with this. Uh, Let's see, old David, the change. Oh, so how we today, the Bible tells us that in former times, in times past, God spoke through prophets and God spoke through men of God that He led in direction. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. I was asking those guys, that it, And we've talked about this in here, that if you were to go around out there and ask people, what is the church known for? Not, not North Lincoln baptist Church. What is the church in general? What, what is it known for? And I guarantee you that most people would tell us what we're against. We're known for the things that we're against. We're against this. And, and we always joke about how when I was growing up, the things that we were against was, you know, no dancing. You couldn't dance uh, at at. Cusa, where I went to school, we didn't have a dance. We had a, uh, we had, we had a uh, banquet. So you couldn't dance. In fact, if there was any music playing, you weren't even allowed to jiggle. You couldn't do anything. <laughs> we were against dancing. We were against long hair. We were against beards. We were against, we were against everything. And that's failing to see what the real heart of Christianity is. The heart of Christianity is not saying to people, You can't do this, 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 and this. That's really nothing more than behavior modification. The heart of Christianity is so much more. It says, instead of all that stuff, here's Jesus. And He is so much deeper, so much richer, so much more. So that when we do our own plan... And stick the plastic Jesus fish on the outside of it. Not only does it not work, we're missing the point. We're missing the point because Jesus is everything. Jesus is our all in all. Jesus is there in our joyful moments. I had the distinct privilege of of doing Granny Eubanks' funeral this week. And here was a lady... Who for 93, 94 years almost had lived a life faithful to her king. And sure, everybody was sad to see her go. But nobody there had any doubt that she was home. That she had gone home. There are many of you in here who have seen those faithful saints of God go home. And you can think of a mother or grandmother. But the thing is, as I was reading the text that Granny had asked me to read explaining what heaven was going to be like over and over there's an emphasis on whose heaven it was. Yeah, there's streets of gold and there's gates of pearl and all, 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 all of that stuff is described but over and over it says there is no sun there's no need for a sun God's the light there's no temple there's no need for a temple because God is there we are his people and he's our God God is heaven the fact that we can be with him that we can commune with him that we can sing with him I and mean, one of the reasons why I love preaching is because we got to get it done now because we're not gonna do any preaching and ever just gonna do singing And so, if when you think of heaven, you think of the people who have gone before or the streets of gold or the gates of pearl, you're missing the point. To be absent from the body is to be present with your God, He is the victory. And so if that's their focus, if that's, then that guidance that we see, David, here in the second battle can come. And I'm here to tell you again, and I know I, I harp on it all the time, but the way that we're guided today is through this book. As I think about, uh, right now in, the, in Glencoe at least, everybody seems to be super exercised about... Um, the fact that, that they've, they've said that like football games and in public settings we can't, can't pray in, in the schools. And as I read the, the myriad of Facebook comments, and I'm not I'm putting anybody down. If, if you've got, I know there's some people in this room who have who've been commenting on that. I, I want to ask you though, is there anything to keep you from, from going up to that high school and praying for those kids? Is there anything to keep you from taking your kids, the list of students in that classroom and praying for them in your living room? Is there something magical about it going, uh, prayer going over the PA system at a football game? Or can you be praying for those kids? Maybe with the world standing up and saying that you can't do that, what that should cause us to do as believers is double down and say, I'm going to pray. Because we see here in this text that God answers Prayer. And you know what our community needs? They need us who are believers on our face before a holy God, begging Him to intercede in our schools. You don't have to have the Edelwald Board of Education's permission to do that. You don't require a court system to tell you to do that. If you really want to to, to fight that sort of movement, give to Max his ministry. He's taking the gospel into the schools. Let's take our convictions and take them off of Facebook and put feet on them. Let's do what we say we believe is important. Because I'm with you. I agree 100% that what our... Students need more than anything is us to labor in prayer over them. So, let's do it. Let's do it. We see here that God can be and is victorious. We see here that in this particular scenario, God is victorious. And I want to close with reminding you that in the end, He is victorious. The Bible tells us how the story is going to end. The Bible tells us that on that last day, on the day that we talk so much about, that that eastern sky will break. I love at funerals being able to quote that text from 1 Thessalonians. Brothers, I would not have you ignorant about those who have gone before For those of us who are alive and remain. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the cry of an archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will join them in the air. And together we will be with them forevermore. He wins in the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the Beginning and the End, the First and the Last, the One who is and is to come. He is head over the church. He is victorious. Father God, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray that today, Lord, as we struggle and we see what seemingly is the enemy winning around us, that we would not lose heart, Lord, that we would put feet to our beliefs God I pray that you would break us to plead for our students in prayer God that you would call us to pray for our law enforcement officers in prayer that we would pray for our firefighters and first responders in prayer that we would pray for our leadership both here in Etowah County God in Montgomery and Lord in Washington D.C. Lord that we would fall on our face and call on you to save our country and God I pray that we would see that we should you should change us that we could be the church of Jesus Christ, that we could live out the truth that's in Your Word. God, we long to see that day. We pray in our heart over and over, Maranatha, come quickly. But God, we don't have to wait until that day to see You victorious. God, I pray that in each and every believer in this room's life, You would reign victorious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.